Well, hey, my friends, welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. I'm Ty Evans. And on this episode, I got my buddy Ben Longwell um, from True West Horsemanship. And this, this is a fun episode. It's a little different than a lot of our typical guest episodes. A lot of our guest episodes, you know, we're we're learning a lot about the person and and after recording this I realized that you know we uh we ended up diving into horsemanship and mulemanship way more than we talked about Ben um and his family and everything um so I might have to do another episode and uh learn more about Ben and his family and introduce him to you guys I think we got a lot of information on here but we definitely had an awesome chat about horsemanship and mulemanship and I hope you enjoy this stuff because um, it's important. It's really important and I think some of the topics that we cover will probably help you out um, in some way. I think you can apply the lessons and the principles that we discussed to just about anything you want to do with these animals. So hopefully you get something out of that. Uh, before we get started, I want to thank all of our amazing sponsors that make this podcast possible and make the podcast free for you to listen to um those sponsors are western mule magazine ben and nita tends to do an amazing job over there we also got to thank mules and more magazine we, we're so grateful to have both these magazines backing us up um, and they do amazing uh, a big thanks to colt saddlery if you're looking for a dang good saddle give colt a call also, Roman Homes, if you're looking for an awesome wall tent for this hunt season. i got a lot of friends right now that are in the middle of hunting season. Here we go. We're doing it. And um, if you get up there on the mountain and you realize that your gear is not holding up, I definitely recommend you look up RomanHomes.com. they got some dang good stuff. And also, Diamond W Enterprises, if you're looking for a good jack to breed your awesome mare to, Kevin Wright has a nice one and you want to give him a call look him up online on facebook um, anyways big thanks to all these sponsors and with that let's get going well hey friends welcome to the everyday mulemanship podcast i'm coming to you from the freightliner studio again and I'm sitting here with my friend Ben Longwell uh, of True West Horsemanship, and glad to have you on, Mr. Ben. Thanks for lining this out. We've had all kinds of technical glitches, but here we are living the dream. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to put it. I uh, appreciate the invite. I've been looking forward to catching up with you. Yeah, it's be good. So um, Ben had, had me on... Uh, his podcast i don't know i guess it was a was it last year a couple years ago i don't remember but um it, it was it was a good time talking to you and i've had you on my mind since then and and since we've we've kind of collaborated together we've done a virtual clinic and i thought that was a good time and anyways i thought man i need to get this guy on the podcast and just get a chance to just shoot the bull with you and talk and you have uh crazy interesting life and you've been everywhere man <laughs> so <laughs> anyways uh i guess to start off with um for any of my listener listeners that might not know you uh why don't you just introduce yourself and and your wife and your family and tell us a little bit about what you do and then and then i got all kinds of stuff i want to 
chat about. So we're probably going to bounce all over in this episode just because I got a lot of things that I want to ask you um, that I think will be fun to talk about. So introduce yourself, sure. Ben. Sure thing. Well, uh, yeah, my name is Ben Longwell and, and my wife, Natalie. I've got four young kids, uh, ages between 12 and five, three girls and a boy. And that's uh, keeps us pretty busy, but I grew up in Colorado and uh, grew up working with cattle and horses and always was looking for a way to kind of be around them or, or get things working in a way that sort of uh, was efficient and safe. And I, I wouldn't have been able to put words to it, but I guess I was looking for, for ways to get those critters thinking thinking what I'd like them to be thinking and, and doing those things through more thoughtful response rather than reactive self-preservation. And again, I would not have been able to put those words to it, but I guess that was kind of always something that I was interested in from a young age. And uh, in a nutshell, like, like to say, Ty, I've been a little bit of everywhere. Natalie is actually from New Zealand and, uh, we lived first in Colorado and then Wyoming for a few years before we actually relocated to New Zealand. And that's where we actually started True West Horsemanship was in 2011 down in the North Island of New Zealand. So it's been a, a whirlwind. We've worked down there and, and always had work back up here and then relocated back here to the States oh, about 18 months ago. And we were in Montana and then now we're now we're in Eastern Oregon. So between uh, between all that, we've worked horses um, in most of the Western states at one time or another and on a number of different ranches as well and having as having clinics around the place. And it's just been a, a huge adventure. I never would have imagined, you know, growing up in a small town in northwest Colorado uh, where it, horses would take me and where where God would take me and and. We met in Hong Kong, actually. Uh, people always ask, you know, did you meet here or there? And, and if we're in New Zealand, they say the same thing, you know, <laughs> did you meet here or there? And it's always funny because it, you know, it, it's just a story that no one ever would guess. And so it's just been kind of one miracle and divine appointment right after the next uh, when it comes to those sorts of opportunities and, and the hard work that goes along with it. Heck yeah, man. You know, I, I, uh, one thing I really respect about you is your, your faith in, in God and, and your, you know, your, your Christian, your Christian ways. I really appreciate that. And I too believe that, uh, we're kind of led to wherever God wants us to go, man. We we're going to end up there whether we want to or not. And it's not always what we think is, is planned. And, and uh, yeah, your life is, you bounce all over. I think, I can't remember whose podcast I was listening to, but I was listening to somebody else's podcast and I heard that story about you meeting Natalie in Hong Kong. I was like, because I had the same thing. I'm like, hey, I wonder if they met in the U.S. or down in New Zealand. And yeah, that's crazy, Hong Kong. So uh, what, what were you guys doing over there? I mean, I, I know the story, but I kind of want to share that a little bit. What were you guys doing over there? Because I think that's yeah. pretty cool too. Well, um we were actually part of an international team that was meeting in Hong Kong and sort of the, the organization was based out of Hong Kong because of the religious freedom that's there. But we were supporting the underground church in China with um, 
Bibles and other teaching materials that they don't have access to. Uh, so smuggling is one word that you could use to uh, describe what we were doing. And that was exciting. And we had some adventures there. Um, and I won't go into any more detail as far as, uh, you know, the, the, you know, nitty gritty of, of places and people, but essentially, you know, there, there's not religious freedom in China as much as they want to make us in the West believe that there is. And, uh, so we did multiple trips back and forth between Hong Kong and various places in China. Um, it was Natalie's third week and her last week of her time there. And my brother and I had been, we'd actually had done it before. So it was our first week there back doing it again. And we crossed paths with her for a week and we had a multiple drop trip through different areas of China that week and among other things. And, um, that was all it took. Yeah. The rest is history, as they say. Yeah, it's pretty neat. So you meet in Hong Kong, and then uh, where did you guys, uh, I guess, where, where did you guys go from there? Did you spend some time in the States together? Did you go down to New Zealand, or what did you all do? So, yeah, we we ended up getting married about eight months later. We actually got married in New Zealand. Um, but we planned to live here in the States and just bought a house in my hometown. And I was starting Colts for a local trainer there. Uh, pretty good opportunity for a young guy. I didn't have, I had some experience and I had done a, I guess what you could call an apprenticeship with a uh, quarter horse breeder in Grand Junction, Colorado. And he had really turned the light on for me in terms of horsemanship and better Colt starting methods and, and just revolutionized really my life basically because of the exposure that I had there and the experience. And so then, yeah, we were based in my hometown for almost a year and starting Colts there. Uh, it was a pretty sweet deal actually, I thought, because this older trainer, he would coach on me a little bit. And he helped me learn some, some more stuff as I went along. But for the most part, it was I was riding horses and he took care of the clients and he picked pins and he fed them all and <laughs> he did all everything except start the Colts. And so I thought that was a pretty sweet deal. Of yeah. course, looking, looking back on it, of course, that only delayed me learning some of the skills that I was actually going to end up needing, but I didn't think of it at that, at that time. And so then we, we kind of got itchy feet a little bit, I guess is the way you could put it is, is we were looking for, an opportunity to uh, expand our horizons a little bit, gain some more experience and stuff. And so we ended up putting together some resumes and, and sending them out. We wanted to work on a place that was a working cattle ranch, but also took on guests. And we wanted that experience of working with people and educating people. And to be honest, probably also a little bit of the idea of a bit more of a structured time schedule rather than uh, where a lot of working cowboys end up working, you know, daylight to dark, seven days a week, that kind of a thing. Um, right from the beginning, you know, if I was single, I don't know that I would have minded as much. I did that plenty on my own as a day worker, you know, before I was married. But um, being married, I, I didn't want I didn't want to be, you know, married to my job. So we did that and we ended up getting hired on at uh 300,000 acre ranch in North central Wyoming at the foot of the Bighorns. 
and we were we were there for almost two years and it was a real cool experience in terms of beginning to learn to communicate with people about the horses and what was going on and how to communicate better and ride better and then also just to gain more experience on a big outfit and, and working the cattle and and sharpening up really what started the sharpening up of my roping skills and stuff like that was that was some of the first horseback roping that I had done. So I got kind of a late start on that deal. Um, and again, I was starting a few colts and uh, started teaching a few clinics there and stuff like that. So it was sort of dipping my toes in the water, so to speak, with what what's become my life's work ever since. And it was a, it was a pretty cool deal. It was neat country and pretty good folks to work with. And, and of course, getting to meet people from all over the world. That's, that's pretty awesome. You know, um, you talking about your roping and calling it a late start. I think it's just right <laughs> because I, I roped all the time, you know, when I was a kid. Um, but, but not in a, not in any educational sense, like learning how to rope. I just rope stuff. Just, we just rope things. You know, my brother, uh, was a big time team roper. You know, he roped in, in high school and, you know, did all the you know, the team ropings and the jackpots and whatever. And, uh, so we, we roped, but I didn't ever learn anything good, <laughs> you know? And then it wasn't until later on that I actually you know, thought, you know what, I'd like to up my averages here and I'd like to get a little bit better. And then I learned that, holy cow, I don't know anything, you know? Um, I never liked geometry and it turns out if you want to rope, you better learn some geometry and learn some angles and That's true. figure out, figure out where that rope's going to go after it leaves your hand. And, you know, I just didn't think about any of that crap. So, yeah, I got, uh, I have a lot of bad habits to fix up. That being said, I still, uh, I'd still rather throw, you know, a hundred misses to catch that one. <laughs> you know, I, It's still a good time throwing. You know, Absolutely. what was is it's kind of like the fishing saying, you know, roping's always good. It's just sometimes the catching sucks. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's yeah, something but, about that when you're practicing, it's just addictive once you start catching something and you know, getting it all put together. You might miss another hundred times, but it's just like, man, I gotta, I gotta do that again. Yeah. Well, then it, then it gets fun because you start thinking about, okay, well, I caught that one. And then one turns to five and five turns to 10 and 10 turns to more. And you caught that one. And, and what did you do that, that made it work? You know, and yeah. that's the stuff that is really fun for me. And, and really that's the fun with the horsemanship too. And I'm sure you enjoy that as well. It's like, okay, well, th this worked pretty good here with this colt or with this horse or for me, this mule, you know, whatever. And why did that work? How can I repeat that? And that's something I try to teach my students is, okay, you know, what you do isn't as important as can you repeat what you do? You know, if it's a, if it's a one-time fling, you know, and it just works once, that's not really that valuable. But if we can repeat this and if we can make this, whatever, work every time, okay, now we're onto something. And that's where the experimenting gets pretty fun and I, I like that and yeah roping yeah that's that that brings up a lot of a lot of thoughts on on learning you know and um i want to go before we get too much further down that rabbit hole my friend i i want to go back for a second 
and uh, talk about your your time in Grand Junction. And um, you know, I guess can you can you say that fellow's name? Do you mind telling who who that is? Yeah, no, it, it was uh, at Eagle View Quarter Horses, Mike Ross. There, yeah. west of west of Grand Junction, near a little place called Loma, and uh, he was actually the brother to my local pastor up in Craig, where I grew up, they were brothers. And so that was kind of the connection that I had there. And I mean, honestly, he gave me a heck of a chance. You know, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, I'd grown up around horses and, and I'd started a cult by myself, you know, a few years before that. And, you know, I, I, I had some experience and I knew some stuff, but I, I had no idea what I didn't know. And he, he really gave me a chance and, and really poured a lot into me in that time frame. And, and like I said, it, it, it did change my life. Yeah. Those, those people are important in our lives. I think, I think it's, you know, when you get a chance like that to be around some good horsemen or a good horseman, um, that can really make a big difference you know i think yeah people like that come along and and you know i love digging into people's stories because it's kind of you know one person after another that leads us to where we are you know yeah and, and that's pretty neat you know and, you know it's interesting you know you grew up not that far from me relatively speaking i mean yeah you know i mean it's really not that far um you know talking about loma and grand junction and up to craig you know, that, that ain't that far from me, you know? Um, so, so what was, what was different about, uh, about this fella, um, from what you had learned growing up or how you rode growing up or what you did, what, what, what was some things that really, I guess, changed your, changed your outlook on this whole deal? Huh? What, what was different? I guess, you know, a lot of what I had been taught was just to get the job done one way or the other. And, uh, and, and of course, this mindset, it might not have ever been put into words, but you have this mindset that um, you got to make the horse do these things or you got to that they're, they're fighting you. You know, they're always fighting you on these things. Or, or the cattle the same way, you know, it's just this, it's, it's a, it's a battle, you know? And like I say, they might not say those words, but that's the mindset that it's approached with. And so there's this confrontation that is part of the process. And I don't know, I'm not very good at confrontation. A lot of times, you know, I, I am a peacemaker. I like, I like peace and I like harmony. I like understanding and I like communication real good communication and so when when he started showing me and teaching me how to communicate with these cults and to set things up for them to understand and learn and and i mean the lights just started going on just crazy you know i just ate it up i couldn't believe what was happening you know and what was going on and what we were getting done i'll never forget about the first week I was there, one of his good friends, who's since become a, a friend of mine, is Grant Golliher from Diamond Cross Ranch up there near Jackson Hole. I don't know if you've heard of Grant, but he he does some amazing work. And he spent a lot of time with Tom and Ray. 
And we had been given a stallion, pretty high dollar paint stallion from over around Denver, had just been given to Mike like the week before I got there or something. Or no, maybe I was even there when he got unloaded, but you couldn't get near him. Like he'd almost killed a person or something. And he, you know, you'd walk by the pen and he would lunge over that pen with his teeth bared like he would try to get a hold of you. And Grant came down to help Mike and we were going to try to rehabilitate this stallion. It was like the last, last chance for this guy before he got sent to the dog food factory. And I'll never forget seeing Grant walk into that pen, that round pen, with nothing more than a flag and this stallion who was planning on killing him. And I was, I wasn't even on the edge of my seat. I was like, what is going to happen now? <laughs> and, you know, I just couldn't believe how he got that horse moving and working and, and hooking onto him and reading him. And, and I don't remember how long it took or what all went on. I wish I had a better memory of, of those sessions, but I can still remember Grant kneeling down on his knees with his back to this stallion you know, further on through part of that process, after he got some things going, he just literally, and he was saying, he said, this posture and what I'm saying to this horse right now is that I'm vulnerable and I trust him. And that, that this vulnerability and trust needs to go two ways. Like it's gonna, it's gonna go both ways, you know? And it was just like, I couldn't believe it. You know, I'd never seen anything like that before. And so when you, when you ask how, you know, Mike and Grant, you know, changed, it just changed the way I approached everything around horses, even though I'd been trying to find that on my own for years. Um, this just, like I said, just switched all the lights on for me. Yeah. You know, that, that's fascinating. Um, and I'd like to meet that. I'd like to meet both of them guys, you know, I'd like to be yeah. around guys like that, you know, I like to be around guys like you. Uh, that reminds me of a, you know, of a dog we had that, uh, you know, you've been around mules and they can definitely be a little bit more um, aggressive towards dogs, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's definitely a thing, you know? Um, yeah. They'll probably chase a dog out of the pasture or a coyote or a fox, you know, they'll probably chase it out. Um but uh, we had this dog that when she was just a pup, she got kicked in the face and broke her jaw and knocked her teeth out, half half her teeth out one side. And, and uh, so our tongue was kind of hanging out. Anyways, I looked out in the pasture one morning and I see this dog laying out there. And I think, oh, dang it, you know, she must have been out there and the mules must have stomped her. And, and uh, I just called her name, you know, hey, Lily, that was her name, Lily. And uh, she popped her head up and came trotting back. And I'm like, what the heck? And I started noticing that she slept out in that mules, in that pasture every night. That's where she slept. She just go lay out there with the mules and they wouldn't touch her yet. You know, I have a, we, at that time we had a couple of healers, you know, and you've been around healers and, you know, they're, they're much more assertive and aggressive and, oh yeah, all the mules yeah. chase the healers out. But, uh, they wouldn't bother this lily dog. Like they would not touch her and she could just trot around there. It's like, after she got kicked, 
I don't know. It's like, um, and she was just a puppy, like an eight week old puppy when she got kicked that the mule's just like, Oh yeah, she's, she's, uh, nothing to be bothered by, you know, I'm watching her. I'm like, what, what is, what does she do that's different from those other dogs? You know, this is like, this is how I am. I'm always thinking like that. Well, what is she so, what's so different about her? They're not even bothered about it. They don't even look at her, you know, and your story, um, you know, about Grant, that, that that's what, uh, that's what came to mind there. But it, it's interesting how much they can read you. It, it's just, it, it fascinates me, you know, and, and when we're doing these clinics and you see the same things I do, I was just doing a clinic in Pennsylvania last week and there was uh, one participant there and she had a little horse. And this horse just kept running her over continually, um, just shouldering her. And like, you know, I tried to explain to the lady, I'm like, you know, this is extremely dangerous. Like if this gets more and more, I know it's just a little horse, but I mean, this is how they used to crash guys in battle back in the day. Like they use these horse shoulders, you know, and, you know, she kind of laughed about it. I'm like, I'm kind of serious. Like you're, you're kind of asking for it here. Like this horse. I said, I said, something has to change. Your presence around this horse has to change because if your presence stays the same like this, you know, you're just a doormat and that horse just kind of knew it could move around. And, you know, I tell folks like when they buy a new mule or buy a new horse that, you know, they, they, they want to get, they want to get used to it for a month or two. I'm like, they're used to you in about five minutes. They know everything about you. They've read the book. You didn't even know you've written in five minutes they read they need it probably probably faster than five minutes you know i just think it's amazing how well they can read you you know and i don't have all the answers i don't know all the all the ways that they could read us and what they're tuning into i'm learning more and more but that's that's pretty interesting to me do, do you what's your thoughts on that what do you what comes to your mind when we're talking about that kind of stuff ben well one of the first things that comes to my mind is, you know, body language, you know, for lack of a better term. And, and of course, that's a really commonly used term. And I think sometimes, well, I know a lot of times folks don't always define that very well. And, and I always define it for for people so that we can quantify what we're talking about. Um, and I just use the terms position, life or energy and space and I always go into those and define them and show people what I mean by that. But in essence, whether you're aware of it or not, you're still using those things. You're still, your body's still there and you're still doing things or not doing things. And, and many times, like you say, as that horse gets a feel of you, there's a lot of things that he begins to recognize. You don't mean anything by that. And there's a lot of that stuff that we, uh, because we're not paying attention or we're not aware of what we could be doing, we're missing pieces of our communication that could be useful within our within that that body language. But the horse is still reading you constantly. And many times it's the other way. Maybe there's things that you're doing that you're not aware of that they can't disregard. Maybe it's a sensitive horse that that feels the quickness or the abruptness of your, your life or your energy around them. And, uh, and maybe you're in a hurry, or maybe you're one of these people who has a little bit more 
energy in what you do generally. And this sensitive horse just, he can't disregard it. He's, he's troubled by it. He doesn't understand that and it doesn't feel good to him. So it bothers him, you know, just the fact that you're there bothers him. You know, it's those sorts of little things that sometimes not everyone picks up on or understands uh, where that horse might be a bit anxious or tight just simply because of the way you've approached him. And then, then something else happens, you know, five or 10 minutes later, but we think that that's the problem, but really it started quite a bit before that. It's like what Ray used to say, you know, what happened before what happened happened. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I tell my students, whether you uh, want to or not, you're always communicating to the animal. Yeah. So it, I'd suggest you figure out what you're saying <laughs> because <laughs> you're telling them something no matter what. You might as well be something that you want to tell them. You know, they're, yeah. they're always listening. And I think uh, we're such a verbal species. You know, we're so verbal. We're talking. You know, you and I right now, yeah. we're talking. We're, we're thousands of miles apart. We're across the country apart from each other. And we're talking right now. Yeah. You know, um, it, we're so verbal. And and I think, I think that gets in our way when we're, when we're considering the horse or the mule, because, um, you know, I tell, I tell my students, you know, as you walk to the barn, you're communicating as you approach to catch, you're communicating as you're talking on the phone, walking around your horse, you're communicating, yeah. you, you know, we're, we're sending signals all the time. And yeah. uh, I think it's hard for us to remember that. I, I mean, even me too, I'm not saying I got it all figured out. I'm not saying I am perfect. I'm just saying that I understand that. I know that uh, e even the energy, maybe I, maybe I just, uh, you know, I'm out there, you know, winter's coming on and you're going to be so excited to be here in the winter. I'm sure, uh, you know, and you're going to be out there cutting the ice out of the water trough and you're going to drop it on your foot and you're going to say a cuss word or two. And as you're, you know, walking around there, you're, you're communicating something to your horses. They're going to be like, Oh, geez, there's some energy there. I don't like, there's a feel there. I don't like, you know, and then, you know, it, it, I, I, I found that excitement, fear, anxiety, happiness, I mean, all kinds of things can, can feed into how we, you know, communicate with these things. It's, uh, yep. it's a little deeper. It's a little deeper yet. It's simpler too. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's I think just sometimes people overcomplicate it. It kind of boils down to an awareness or self-awareness. Like you say, what's our state of mind or emotions and how is that affecting how we're communicating or what we're communicating to the horses? And they'll pick up on those things. No, I mean, you might be holding your breath because you're nervous or, or angry, you know, and I think that fear and, and frustration or anger are, are the two most common negative emotions that we experience around horses. And, you know, that's just in relation directly to the horse. Sometimes we come to our horses already packing around stuff from some other situation or something else in the day, you know, and, and all of those things are going to have an effect on, on how they're, what they're reading, I guess, and, and feeling around us. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, um, uh, like I, I tell my students too, all right, I, I know you guys all go home after work and you want to go ride your horses because it makes you happier, but I suggest you get happy before you get to the barn, you know, like, 
you, you need to find some routine or some some something to do uh that'll get you in a good frame of mind before you get to the barn because um i don't believe it's fair for us to bring our baggage to the barn and expect the horse to help us out although the horse can you know i mean it's amazing what the horse can a confident horse can compensate for it's, it's really amazing too you know i think that's fascinating to me you know the the therapy world you know i got some some friends that you know, use their mules, their horses for therapy. And it's just brilliant what these horses can take on. But unfortunately for the majority of us, what we, what we have in our backyards, um, you know, those animals can't quite take on some of our baggage. So we got to be, we got to be there for them, you know? Definitely. Yep. So um, going back a little bit to, you know, your your early days getting introduced to the sim of this horsemanship this style of horsemanship you know when you were saying you know how you grew up just kind of getting the job done you just did it you just do it and yeah um you know uh we, we got a lot of similar up, upbringings because it was the same thing for me you just do it and uh i don't i don't consider that all negative or bad in fact i think it's looking at it now it was really good for my mindset. Um, and I'll, and I'll tell you what I mean, um, is growing up, we, we just did it. We just got it done and we, we learned that we could get it done. And right. I think, I think that set me on a, a really good mental trajectory because that's just how my mindset's always been. And I, and I try to portray that to my students and, and the people that learn from me and that are around me that, well, you're going to do it. It's going to work. Now, the things that's changed for me now is how I do it. Yeah. That's the big change. And and I I think you and I had some similar moments growing up that when we were introduced to this, this different style of horsemanship, it was it was actually to me how how I describe it, Ben, it was like it was like common sense. You're like, yeah. "Oh, that's the way." Okay. And it and it yeah. seemed to fit into place better than what we were doing before and yeah I, I i one thing that i hear a ton in the equine world horses mules alike is you know you'll hear this from the good old boys you know well you just you can't you can't let them win and and then these days i say win what we're not competing. exactly yeah like, exactly <laughs> where's the competition i didn't sign up for a competition yeah you know Exactly. Yeah. That's goes back to what I was saying before about, you know, the mindset of there always being a confrontation or a battle. And that's yep. exactly the saying, you know, don't, don't ever let him win. Well, actually I want my horse to be a winner, you know, and if he's winning, I'm winning. And if I'm winning, he's winning. Cause like you say, there's, there's no competition. It's not a contest. The horse certainly doesn't think of it as a contest until we teach them conflict. Oh yeah, man. That was deep right there. Teach them conflict. You know, there's a, there's a saying, um, you know, th that I, that I'll put out there often, you know, if, if, if my mule's a winner, I'm a winner. Yep. If my mule's, if my mule's a loser, well, takes one to no one. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. And you they know? don't have any fight or contest with humans until we present that and teach them how to fight us 
And that doesn't mean that they're not going to, you know, have different ideas than we hope they would in a moment. But, you know, until we teach them to actually purposefully, you know, go against those things that we're suggesting or making easy for them, you know, then they're, they'll just, they'll figure it out. You just set them up and let them find it. Oh yeah, man. They, you know, you, you are so spot on with, with that conflict. It's not there. The fight isn't there. That resistance isn't there until we put it in there. Um, you, you have a, a video and, you know, for all my listeners, you guys got to check out, uh, true West horsemanship on like Instagram and you're on TikTok. you're everywhere. Um, <laughs> but what my favorite video Ben, of all time that you've put on, and y- you may be disappointed in me because it's not like a brilliant training video is the one where you're standing there and the horse kind of takes off. And then all you see is your hat. <laughs> fall off and hit the dirt <laughs> that is the best because i know exactly how you feel right there and, and what happened like i've been there a million times you know but what a perfect camera setup that you're yeah. just getting it just luck yeah and, just uh, pure luck getting that set up like that <laughs> and and it's the only clip i've got like that of that moment you know and it's funny because of the variety of comments that you get between you know most people just find the humor with the hat rolling back into the frame, you know, and then you always get somebody saying, you know, how they think it could have been prevented or what was going on, you know, and and I have to explain that it was a very green horse and the wind was blowing like a gale force wind. Mm -hmm. And the shed was right behind the camera and it was rattling and banging. And he just was trying his best to hold it together. And he just had to leave. And I just happened to be in the way <laughs> and it just, it goes to show you, you know, and, and I just used it of course, as a, as a learning experience for people, because the awareness of me, you know, was not enough in his fright to um, for him to be able to make his way around me. And like you were saying about your student the other day, that's not a safe situation for us. And so I actually did a little video on, you know, how I helped him overcome that and, become more aware of us and get around a person and, and be aware of our space. But, uh, but that is a funny one and people really get a kick out of that. And it was just lucky that I, that I caught that clip. Uh, yeah. That's, that's my favorite one. That's my favorite. Uh, I laugh <laughs> at it every time I, I came across it again yesterday or the day, I don't know. And it was just, I just laughed again, man. But <laughs> it reminds me of why, why I bring that video up is a common thing that we run into in our foundation classes, that's our groundwork class, is horses uh, and mules that bolt on the ground. Okay, these are mm-hmm. these are these are the ones tearing off and ripping the lead rope out of your hand, whatever. And um, you know, I, I'd say probably it's got to be maybe one out of every twenty horses and mules that come in my clinics in the foundation clinic that is that to do that. So, so it comes up more often than, than I want for sure. And um, anyways, but, but something that we talk about is, and this I'm getting back to where we put the resistance in them is all those animals, they've been pulled on to learn how to pull back, you know, or pull on you. They, they've figured it, that out. And, you know, and I, and I'm watching these people, you know, I, You've, you've been around me enough. You kind of, I'm, I'm the why guy. Like I'm the annoying guy that's asking why all the time. I want to know why. 
And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, why is your mule doing that? Why is your horse doing that? And then I'll watch them as they go to send their horse or their mule, as they go to direct the animal one way or the other. Yep. And they're, and they're pulling on them. There's contact right away. Yep. And then I watch them as they send them around a circle and they're putting contact on right away. And, and I, and when I try to explain this to the students that, you know, this begins when you're putting contact on your animal and, and it's fun. I've, I've, I've kind of dived into the, you know, this, uh, this science lately and the last, I don't know, the last five years, it's really interested me, but, you know, learning that when you put contact on a horse or a mule, when, when you pull on them, like their lead rope, for example, it, it changes their, their, uh, their neuro makeup that right there, the, the chemicals in their brain shift and change to start reacting to that pressure, you know, to start responding to that feel of that brace. And it, it changes their, it changes their chemical makeup in their brain right there. You know, trying to help the students with this, they just don't think about that. And of course, I didn't either until, you know, recently, really. Um, but you start learning about that. And then, you know, like you said, what happened before what happened, happened. Okay. Well, they didn't just take off just to see your hat fall off, right? Uh, you know, they didn't just take off to give you a rope burn because they thought it was funny. You right. know, th there, there was something that caused that. And, um, you know, what what can we do? to help them out and you know number one cause of tension in the mule or the horse is tension in the human one way or yeah. the other i want to pick your brain on awareness real quick this is something that that i teach and talk about the first day of my clinics every clinic we talk about awareness because everybody wants their horse or their mule to be aware of them but yet they are hardly aware of the animal and worse yet than that, I've realized that most of these people are not aware of themselves. Like, and then I'll say, you want your mule, your horse to pay attention to you yet. You don't even know what you're doing. You know, you, you don't even know what you're saying. You know, we kind of talked about that earlier a little bit, but you know, how important is awareness in, in this whole, this whole horsemanship stuff, Ben? It's absolutely crucial, absolutely fundamentally vital. And it goes, like you say, both ways. The quality of our communication is only as good as our skills in observation. And that's our observing of the horse and our awareness of what we're actually doing not just in the moment, but from moment to moment and in similar situations, are we portraying a consistent, clear communication and direction right there so that the horse knows and understands this is what I'm to do in this situation or, or when, the, when we're asking for something particular. And there's a lot of ingredients there. And one of the biggest ones that's challenging for people is the amount of repetition and, and time to get the experience to be that consistent within ourselves. But we have to start somewhere. And if they're at our clinics, well, that's a real good place to start with being really aware. And if you have to just break it down to the very smallest little steps of, or pieces, I call them, of bigger things, you know, to, to understand 
what you're doing when, how, why, where, all those things so that you can build, rebuild or build into that consistent communication. But it takes, it does, it takes a lot of awareness on both, for, for both us and the horse. Yeah, I think being consistent, that's so critical. Uh, I absolutely, totally agree with you on that. That consistency is is major because, um, well, I, I, I don't know how to speak a different language. I uh, uh, I know a lot of swear words in like Spanish and stuff, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know any, uh, I really don't know a second language, but I can imagine what it's like, you know, like you're learning a language and you can pick up bits and pieces of this because mm-hmm. you've heard that, you've heard that phrase, you've heard that saying, you've heard that yep. word over and over and i think i think the horse or the mules kind of like that where they kind of okay all right i recognize that but then there's a whole bunch of mumbo jumbo that you're like i have no clue yeah and then you kind of it's just kind of like us we kind of you know you're listening to somebody speaking a different language and just kind of nod your head and smile you know (laughs) and and they're probably wondering why are you nodding your head smiling but and and i think the horse the horse and the mule is so much better at filling in um oh, than yeah. we are because they're oh, tuned yeah. into so many different pieces and i found if, if we can just be consistent like you say in in just a handful of things okay do you know are, are we consistent in how we will ask a question you know um do we give them you know like i we talk about is you know we give them a good deal and then we'll will firm up as needed. And usually if you give them a good enough deal, you don't have to firm up at all. Um, but if we're at least consistent in our processes and, yeah. and um, the steps that we take, whatever they might, might be, man, it sure, it sure makes a difference in the outcome. Absolutely. Yeah. Just brings clarity. As possible, clarity. But as firm as necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, now you you have been all over like we said earlier and you've you've bounced around from the US to New Zealand and let's talk about that for a second. I mean, what what took you where and what took you back and what took you there and back and everywhere else you've been? Well, if I could boil it down to a few key things, I guess from Wyoming, we it was the middle of winter and um kind of a knee-jerk reaction by the management of the ranch there. They laid me off, but they kept Natalie's job and they figured we'd stick around until spring. And he said, I could have my job back in April. And uh, we had some savings in the bank. We weren't, you know, that that could have worked, but there was something in, in us that sort of said, actually, maybe it's time that we did something different. And we'd always talked about doing, doing our own thing and, and uh, kind of getting our own deal going. And, and, course there was no work to be had in northern wyoming in december in my line of work anyway <laughs> and uh and so it was an incredible series of events and and god really led us through that it was a it was a quite a miraculous time but basically the next day we turned in natalie's notice and or both of our notices basically that we'd be done by the end of the month and we were going to move on and we had some savings, so we weren't too worried about it. And I remember waking up kind of that next day, and I just 
I just got a sense like the Lord was saying, are you trusting me on this whole deal or are you trusting your savings account? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And long story short, we had a friend who was immigrating to New Zealand and she needed some money to get the visa that she needed. Uh, and we ended up giving her basically all of our money. Uh, it was kind of an act of faith and obedience. And we, we gave away our money. And the next day we found out we were pregnant with Colt, our firstborn. <laughs> so in the oh, space boy. of, in the space of five days, we were going to be out of a job. We did not have any savings and we're pregnant and we don't know where we're headed after the, you know, three weeks. So it was an adventure, I'll tell you. And Natalie's dad is a networker. He's a great people person and he doesn't know the first thing about horses. I don't know if he still does, even after hanging out around with me the last 15 years, but he, uh, he put together some horse people. I had started a couple of Arabian horses when I was down there for the president of the endurance racing club. And he told me at the time when we got married, I'd started these Colts and, and he said, you know, you did a good job. You could make a living down here doing this. And it kind of went in one year and out the other, you know, I never thought about it because we were going to live in the States. And uh, so my father-in-law was friends with him and there was a real estate agent that he was in touch with who had horses. And needless to say, in about two days, he had work lined up for me down there and there was no work around Wyoming. And I thought, well, maybe we head down there and we can have our baby down there. The medical situation's a little more clear cut down there than it is here. And Natalie was more comfortable with that. So we just, we just decided to start making plans for moving to moving down there. And uh, I mean, I, it's just incredible Ty. The story is, is amazing. And, and I know, I don't know how much time, we have here but essentially we had some property that we bought there lo locally in wyoming and we'd only had it about three or four months it had been on the market two years before we got it and so now we needed to turn around and sell this money and get our money out of it and you know so that we actually had some money <laughs> and uh it had been on the market for two years and we turned around in four months relisted it and needed it sold in like a month now you tell me, what are the odds of that? <laughs> Guess what? It sold and it sold for 25% more than what we bought it for. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. God's got a plan for you. Yep. So we hit the ground running when we got to New Zealand. We had friends in the church there that said we could use some of their land to set up some pens and a round pen and stuff. Um, needless to say, bunch of miracles but we hit the ground running we were ready to go in about six weeks we are in with the first three or four clients horses there to start and never looked back we were part of the first national horse expo there in new zealand that year and you talk about getting thrown in the deep end because i had done maybe three clinics of my own up to that point <laughs> and uh it was just a whirlwind and it was, it was blessed, but it was a lot of work. And it was also a lot of stepping out of our comfort zone and, and a very steep learning curve. And so we, we just continued to grow from there. We started to have some clinics around the North Island and then eventually into the South Island. 
we started putting together our ranch tours where we bring groups of Kiwis back over to the States to experience life over here and take a 10 day tour and put them to work on a, on a working cattle ranch and show them around, you know, the local town and the best tax stores, the best barbecue, you know, and those sorts of experiences. It was just bucket list, bucket list kind of deals for, for those folks. And it was a lot of fun for us, paid our way back to see my family. And after about five, six years of, um, trying to handle the cold, wet, muddy winters, particularly in the North Island, I said, I'm not working horses in mud that's two feet deep anymore. And uh, so we found started finding work over here while it was summer here and winter down there. We'd start colts for big ranches for a few years. We did that, and that kind of gave us more time over here, time with my family and stuff like that. But we did a lot of different stuff. We... we uh, had a unique design of rope halter that we introduced into New Zealand and we uh, produced those and had those for sale a lot. We imported gear from here in the States and provided uh, particularly, you know, hackamores and ranch ropes and stuff like that for the Vaquero stuff. And, and uh, so we retailed that. We had those at our expo stands at the horse expos and stuff like that. So had a lot of different, uh, different lines of, work and stuff put to, started putting together our video library while we were down there five six years ago now and building our our resources there for folks and then uh kicked off our podcast before we yeah it would have been a year or two before we ended up moving back here to the states so those are some of the things that we got going and the reasons we kind of went back and forth and we're here there and everywhere and then in 21 into 21 we got a call from one of the ranches that we'd worked with with our ranch tours to see if we'd be interested in moving back over to montana to help manage their outfit and it was a working cow ranch with uh with a guest program and so we felt that it was right in line with what we wanted to do we'd been looking for a number of years for ways to sort of change a little bit of what we were doing and, and rather than just having cults and problem solving and teaching clinics where it was kind of not as family involvement, not as much family involvement as what I've, I've kind of envisioned. And uh, we were looking for a way to get back onto a ranch and, and do more cow work and, and maybe have the kids and Natalie a little more involved. And we felt this was a really good fit. We thought we knew the people and the way the outfit worked since we'd been there so many times. And Long story short, it just wasn't, it didn't work out that way. And it, it, uh, it wasn't a very good situation. Um, and so we hit the road. We turned our notice in after we got the cows down off, off the mountain. We, we let them know and, and uh, had some work over the winter, a little bit, a few clinics here and there, and spent a lot of time with family that we hadn't been able to see while we were, we were all locked up in COVID jail last the, for two and a half years down in New Zealand. And, and um, interestingly, kind of a, another journey of faith, uh, six months from a, almost a year ago to about the end of March or early April this year, uh, didn't know kind of where we were going to land or what it was going to look like. We were looking through and at a lot of different opportunities, meeting a lot of different people. Um, but in a nutshell, we we had a number of clinics planned and we had hit the road. We were still in the Montana, Idaho, Wyoming region, and we were planning on getting down to some warmer climates. Uh, 
and we had just had Thanksgiving with my brother and Cody, and we were headed south to to see my folks for a little bit in Colorado. And we actually ended up jackknifing our truck and trailer, uh, fifth wheel camper in central Wyoming on black ice in high winds. And uh, that that was scary, you know, and that kind of gave, well, it made us take a pause for a few days, I can tell you that. And I just decided right there, you know, to sort of pivot and we changed our minds on some of the clinics. We had some that we were planning in California in January and, and they weren't feeling very good and it just was the wrong time of year. And, you know, regardless of how many followers you have on Instagram, that doesn't mean you can get the word out to the right people, you know? So it just, they weren't feeling very good. And, and I just felt that's what we should do. And, and within about a week or two, I really felt we started, Natalie and I both sort of thought it was an opportunity for me to attend a school that I had been interested in called Ranching for Profit. And it's a, it's an incredible, incredible school that helps ranchers really uh, operate as businesses to understand the economics and finances, the, the people and the management there, and then the land and the ecology, better grazing practices. And uh, I can't say enough good about it, but because we had that wreck and we canceled those clinics, I was able to get in last minute to a school in January uh, that was in Cheyenne. And it was through that network that we connected with the ranchers that brought us out to here, here to Pendleton, Oregon, where we moved in April. And so it says in Romans, all things work together for good. And a lot of people like to quote that verse, but it says, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So there's a little caveat there, of course. Um, but essentially that's an example of that. And I tried to keep that brief because there's a lot in there. There's a, there's a lot more details in there, but essentially that's how we've ended up here in Eastern Oregon. And what we're, what we're working on doing, Ty, is, is in changing the direction of what we're doing Whoops, sorry about that. I hit the wrong button. You're good. A little less cult starting and not as many clinics. And then the type of clinics that we want to do more of is to be based on ranches or somewhere where we can um, do more trail riding, problem solving, those sorts of things. Um, and particularly our ranch-based uh, opportunities. We want folks to be able to gain practical experience working with cattle and and even being a part of the operations as they're going on if that's possible and as you know that is easier said than done with the logistics of everything that goes on with that not only from the students side but also from the ranch side so uh we did our first one of those that i would truly call what we're saying is our ranch horsemanship adventures last month and we're here locally and, and and it was just incredible it really really went well and we're super excited about that and we've got a number of ranches montana colorado new mexico there's one in nevada although it's very remote we'll have to see if we can get people to come out that far but um just to and i i love the horsemanship i love the arena stuff you know i love that and people need that there's no doubt that people and horses definitely need that but for for the right right people and horses i want to i want to give some opportunities for some real practical application 
and uh, and also maybe broaden their minds as to what goes into ranching, what the realities of day to day life like is like, and 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 what the what the work often entails. So we're pretty excited about those opportunities, and that's kind of what we're working on. Hey, I think that's great. I th- I saw your uh, posts. You're calling it horsemanship through stockmanship. Is that correct? Yeah, that's kind of my hashtag that I that I use. Yeah, and and there's I've done a stockmanship clinics or cattle working clinics, and that's kind of that's kind of what I call them. Um, and and so that's sort of part of what we'll be doing and what we're aiming to do with these with these ranch uh, adventures. Um, is using the cows, using the stockmanship and better understanding of low stress stockmanship to improve our horsemanship and to bring purpose to the, for the horse, as well as the person in, uh, in what we're working on. You know, we were talking earlier about the changes in, um, you know, when you were in Grand Junction and such and, and around them guys and, Holy cow, talk about a change when you start looking at uh, the stockmanship part of stuff and with with those with those eyes. You know, when you approach stockmanship with horsemanship eyes or for other people, vice versa. Yeah. Um, holy cow, because if if you if we think the horsemanship world is behind uh, if the horse world and the mule world is behind uh the, the, the cow, the cattle world and the stock world is, is, is ages behind because, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff and it was interesting, even a personal change in me, you know, growing up, I helped, you know, we always helped with brandings and, you know, uh, here in Utah, there's a lot of small cow outfits, you know, what I mean by that is guys with 300 or less. It seems like if you got 300 around here, you're doing pretty good. You're, you're, you're one of the one of the guys that's really making it but most of the folks got less than 300 around here and being around all kinds of different people all kinds of different you know ideas um you know you just think well you just got to hurry up and get it done And, and honestly i did not enjoy being around cattle you know i was well, I was I was one of them guys that'd be like these stupid cows, you know. And <laughs> you know, one one of my mentors is Martin Black, and he you know yeah. and he always says, you know, whenever he hears somebody say "stupid cow," that's a that's a sign that the cow is 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 pulling one over on you. You know, it's yeah, it's 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 getting you, it's getting ahead of you somehow. You know, it's you know you're not working things out, and um, you know, for sure. And, and I've kind of learned you know, since then that whenever somebody says something is dumb or stupid, or that's, you know, that's dumb, that's, you know, I don't, who needs that? Who needs to do this? It's usually because they're not very good at it. Right. Or they don't (laughs) know anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. Or they don't know. And, and I look back, I'm like, Hey, that was me growing up with cattle. You know, I was around cattle kind of like roping my whole life, but I didn't see it through those eyes until way later on. And now, now I, man, I, I enjoy, I enjoy working with cattle. You know, I got a lot of friends now that, um, you know, I get invited to do a lot of day work when I'm home. I swear a lot of people, they look at my schedule and they know exactly what day I'm going to be home. And I get home and my phone rings, Hey, come help with this, come help with that. And I, and I really enjoy that now, you know, whereas if, if you asked me this when I was, you know, 
a 13 year old young boy, I'd be like, nah, the dumb cows, you know, but you want to learn about body language. You want to learn about uh, those words that you use, you know, your space and the feel and the energy and the presence that you have. All right, start working cows. They'll teach you all about that. It's just amazing. You know, I think one of the best moments of learning when you're working with cows is trying to get cows to go through a gate. You'll learn, you'll learn just about everything you need to know about cattle and horses, mules, whatever, right there, trying to get cows to go into a tight gate (laughs) that they don't want to go into. You know, if you figure out how to, how to do that, how to set it up, you know, it's like that, you know, I call it the, you know, the, the granddaddy of them all principles of horsemanship is make the right thing easy, wrong thing difficult, you know? And that applies so much to the stockmanship as well, you know, and and they, they really, they really make you get it right, you know, because if you're not making it easy for those cows, they will let you know. And they'll find something else to do. Exactly. Whether it's uh, jumping over that fence right there or pushing through there or going in that brush that you don't want to go into or whatever, they will find something else to do. Absolutely. I'll never forget. I had a lady who, in New Zealand, she became a longtime client and student and friend. And she she must have met me at the very first expo that first year. And uh, she was a real character. But she came on our first ranch tour that we put together. And we're at a, at a place that ran yearlings on the Colorado-Wyoming line. And I'll never forget, we were moving this bunch. And there was about 350 or 400 head of yearlings. And we brought them through this gate and this gate was positioned. We were on the outside of a corner and this gate was on the corner and we were out in the open. And it was just one of those stupid gates that are just not positioned well to, to have cows find them. And this cow had been the last one to come up. I can't remember where, if we'd found her off by herself or what was going on, but she didn't know where that gate was. And Debbie, this, this lady of, of mine that she was, um, she was always in a hurry. You know, she, she enjoyed riding fast, shall we say. And so I got her slowed down. I said, now look, Debbie, we're not going to be able to mash this cow through here. She doesn't know where this gate is. And we tried a couple of times. She just kept running by it. We were out, you know, the cow was still, you know, a good, probably 30 yards or more from the gate and high headed, you know, looking for somewhere to quit the country. And I said, look, we just need to get her to stop and think and look towards that gate. And so every time she turned towards us, we'd block her. And I was just coaching Debbie along. And, and every time she'd sort of head the wrong direction, we'd stop her and, and, and block her. And then as soon as she'd head towards the right direction, we would just ease off and let her go. And she still hadn't seen the gate. And she, she was moving along and she drifted in the right direction. And I always call it, I, the terms I use to help people think about it is that game that we used to play called hotter and colder, you know, when you're trying to help somebody find something or same thing when you're trying to get a horse to open a gate, you know, or be in a certain position, you know, if they're, if they're cold, then there's pressure somewhere. If they're getting hotter or warmer, there needs to be less pressure. They got to know they're, they got to know they're getting hotter. And, uh, and it was the same thing with that cow. And pretty soon, I don't know, she must've still been 10 or 15 yards away. And she just looked up and, and I said, right there, she saw the gate, just let her think right there. And she just picked up and walked through the gate without us doing a single thing more. Debbie couldn't believe it. And I'll remember it was probably three years later that Debbie came to a cattle working clinic that I had in the North Island. And we were playing around doing some different stuff in, in an arena with some cows. 
and I had Debbie sort one out and she was boxing it back and forth and just causing some movement, causing it to stop and, and just practicing communicating to this cow through communicating accurately with her horse. And I said, now, Debbie, see if you can get that cow to go out and sniff that cow pie. And there's, you know, a dried cow pie out there ways from her. And she just laughed. She thought I was joking. I said, no, you go tell that cow to go sniff that cow pie. Go tell her to put her head down and sniff that cow pie. She didn't think she could do it. And literally in less than five minutes, that cow put her head down and sniffed that cow pie. You know, and it was just through <laughs> through setting it up, you know, and 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 really just like you say, make the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult. And I knew when she got close enough, she'd put her head down and sniff it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but I learned a lot of those things from Martin Black as well. You know, I picked up quite a bit riding with him a couple of three times. And uh he he helped me look at stockmanship differently as well since then. Oh yeah. Martin is uh he he is the best the best stockman I've ever been around. I mean, that guy is just so dialed in. He can read cows better than anybody I've been around. It's, it's really amazing. But, you know, um, yeah, you know, one thing I, I notice a lot in with, with the cattle, especially, and then I, I, I make the parable of it with their horses is so one of the games that we play in our cow working clinics is we'll put two cones out there, kind of like a, a goalie, you know, kind of like a, a gate or whatever you want to call it. And okay, you're going to pull a, you're going to pull a cow out, you know, pull a stair out, whatever we have, pull something out of the herd and you're going to take it down, you know, down here, you know, around this and then through that, that gate, through that, through those two cones. And yeah. the very first round, I don't get, a, I don't give a whole lot of information because I want them to just get some experience and learn. So I and I just watch and it's interesting because nine out of ten people, the when the closer they get to those two cones, what do you think they do? Pressure. They want to just smash them through, right? Like, okay, we're almost there, boys. Just give it a smack and make sure we get it in. You know? <laughs> and it's the same thing you see with with trailer loading. Uh, it's yeah. the same thing you see with crossing water. Okay. Yeah. Oh, 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 there looks like they're going to go hurry up, give them a kick. And, you know, and, and, uh, so them cattle, you know, they're a great teaching tool for teaching horsemanship because yeah. when people realize that you're like, okay, you got that cow was almost right there. And the it, closer it got, what you did was put more pressure on it. And now it doesn't want anything to do with that. You know, yeah. when actually, the closer it gets, the less I do. The, the I mean, I just go away, just leave them alone. Yeah, and um, it's it's amazing, and they're great teaching tools. So I think that's Absolutely. pretty amazing, amazing what you're doing there. And you know, uh, I hope folks, I hope folks see how how valuable that that teaching moment with you is. Being able to go out there and really apply this stuff and use it. Um, there's a lot of guys like me and I mean, there's all of us that we, you know, we teach in the arena a lot of times because that's where we can teach, you know, it's, yeah. it, it, it would be really hard to be able to go all over the country like I do and teach, um, application every week just because of this, the scenario. So a lot of the stuff we're yeah. doing is, you know, in the arena and, and we're working and, and doing stuff yeah. and. And so and that, when you get the opportunity like you have to go actually go out there, work on a ranch, do it, do a job and see it and play. I think that's so cool. That's awesome, man. 
Yeah, I think that there's a real need for it. Um, and there's always going to be the need for the arena and that safe place to simulate and to practice theory. You know, that is vital and and so important. Uh, but then at some point, I think, especially for, for those who have been on that journey for a period of time uh, and they're ready to apply it practically. They're ready to get a job done. They're ready to um, get out and, and do some stuff. And so we do, we do trail clinics on the trail horsemanship, you know, and problem solving and, and we set it up, you know, to, for success for people where we're not just in a hurry to get to the end of the road, you know, but it's like, we're actually out there looking for opportunities to improve our horsemanship or, or, confidence build confidence in the horse or the person and and so it's it's like for our ranch deals adventures we're sort of combining the the trail clinic and the stockmanship clinic and the horsemanship clinic and all of that on a ranch trying to get a job done and basically learn and grow obviously have a lot of fun and just share that purpose with our horses or mules. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and, and mules can come along in your clinics and they can do all that too, you know. Um, absolutely. absolutely. I've got one right. coming in a couple of weeks here, actually. Perfect. You know, um, that kind of brings something to mind, you know, I think, I think people, I think they, they need to, they should go apply it. Like, I'm, you know, you've been doing clinics long enough. Now you see the same things I do. Sometimes you'll have folks who'll come back continually and and they come back this year and they're the same as they were last year. And well, you could say, well, at least they're not worse. Okay. But you know, I got higher standards than that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'd like to see people continually improving, but, but they need to get out and do it. Like, you know, I have this, uh, I have this online course we do called our, our master class that's, uh, you yeah. know, all, all year long and everything. And one of my coaching students, uh, he, he called me up last week and said, Hey man, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to, you know, do the, do the classes the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be hunting. I'm going to be elk hunting in Utah. And I said, dude, that is class. Like that's why we've been working all year long is so that you can go hunt and go do it. Like go do the, Go do the real thing. This is why you wanted yeah. your mule so handy so that you can go. You said you wanted to ride in the mountains. You want to ride rough country. You want to have a good handle. You want to be safe. You want yeah. to pack. You get that elk and you want to pack it out. Hey, man, this is class. This is what you work for. There's a time to practice in the arena and at home, and there's a time to go do it. And I yeah. said, man, this, this is what it's for. So Exactly. Heck, yeah. Skip skip the online school this week, dude, and go elk hunt. Heck, yeah. That's what it's for. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, sometimes, um, and, and, you know, and, and I, I never like to dog on any horsemen or teachers out there. Yeah, I'm the but same. I will say, I will say this. Sometimes it seems like there's a lot of folks out there. It, well, it reminds me of a, there's a little uh, a Facebook meme that I saw. And it, and it showed uh, some, some, some medical students. They're sitting in class, and the professor's up there. And he wrote on the board that, uh, you know, a, a, a patient cured is a customer lost. <laughs> and that's, that's, what he, 
that's what he wrote on the board in medical school okay so yeah for real but sometimes i feel like there's folks that are, are like that in horsemanship too that's like you know it, it, well if i give them all the secrets you know then i won't be able to they won't come into my clinic say you know they won't continue learning and and for me it's like well there's always going to be continued learning we're always going to you know i'm going to know i'm going to know more next year than i do this year i promise yeah. you that and in five yeah. years from now i'm going to know way more than i do now um yeah. But I want to see my students succeed and be better and do better. And I try to tell them, hey, you know what? The farther you get in your horsemanship, your mulemanship journey, the farther I can get too. If you come to class next week and you're ready to rock and roll and we can we can play and do some more, hey, we're stepping it up. There's more to yeah. be done here. Exactly. And um, I think what you're doing with this whole program is doing just that. You're stepping up the game. And, and I hope it. I hope it's, uh, you know, just appreciated by your students because I think it's really cool. I think you're doing a great thing. I appreciate that, Ty. Really do. So I got I got two more questions for you, and I better let you go. Um, you probably got something to ride, and it's almost dark <laughs> here. So um, th this, this is interesting to me. Um, where would you like to see horsemanship in the world five, 10, whatever years from now, the future, what would you like this future of horsemanship to look like for your kids coming up? You know, and I, and I think that's an important question. And while you're thinking about it, I'll just say a couple of things is, you know, um, and I kind of just mentioned it. If, if we're the same five years from now, 10 years from now, we're not learning, we're not getting better. And, um, you know, and I feel like you and I are, you know, I'd like to believe you and I are doing a really good thing in this world. Uh, trying to make the world a better place for horses and mules and, and for people, you know, and, um, but that's, that's a question that, that often uh, bounces around in my head, Ben is, you know, what, what is this going to look like? What do I want it to look like for my kids? Because I already see, you know, both your kids and my kids, they're getting a different upbringing of horsemanship than you and I did. For sure. Yeah. So for sure. Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is, more widespread acceptance of the basic tenets of good horsemanship throughout every discipline, you know, and throughout the world. And, and of course we're seeing that more and more and more, even in the last 10 years, um, you know, you see a lot more people practicing it in show jumping or dressage or endurance or different, different ones. Um, but just to see that it becomes more and more common in, really as the way that you should work with horses is with understanding these good horsemanship principles. And I always tell people, you know, if you look up the hashtag horsemanship on Instagram, you will find that that has been used with literally anything and everything that you can do with horses and that it has nothing to do with what I call horsemanship. It's simply that they've got a, you know, they're doing something with a horse. So let's hashtag horsemanship. Well, Nah, <laughs> no. And, and so I would love to see it continue to spread around the world and throughout the disciplines. And then right on the heels of that, I think kind of on the flip side, actually, is that I hope that it remains rooted in practicality. And I feel like there's two aspects where I think sometimes we lose the practicality. 
or we lose the meaning or the purpose. And that is sometimes in the show world, we end up with horses that are very specialized and they lose their versatility. They lose the ability to be whatever ridden outside or go and do something else besides that one event. And to me, that's a shame to me. It's, it's taking something away from the horse. And I think it, it almost always has an aspect of lacking of, of good horsemanship somewhere in there. And I'm not, I'm not saying that those things can't be done with good horsemanship. I'm just saying a lot of times they aren't because we are stuck on a schedule and we've got to get these horses doing these things perfectly. And the only way we know how to do that is through endless repetition. And so we end up doing too much of some good things. Probably the other aspect that sometimes starts to lose practicality is where people are, um, just going off a little bit of the deep end, I think with, um, the spirituality of the whole experience or the, um, you know, the energy of this, or, you know, how the horse is feeling about that. And it's like, you know, for some folks, it's, it's maybe it's an excuse. They're scared to do more. They don't know how to do things differently. Other times it's, it's just, I guess it's everywhere and it's all throughout our world now, kind of the, the new age thinking. And, um, you just, to me, getting out of touch with, with physical reality and then applying this, this spiritual, to me, a false spiritual reality to what we're doing. Um, and, and, uh, I just, to me, I like, I like to think that good horsemanship is applicable practically, that it means something in the natural world to get a job done or to accomplish some purpose. And hopefully it's a purpose that the horse can participate in. Hey, I like that, man. I like that a lot. Yeah. The practicality, be able to go do something. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the type of clinics you're doing, you know, what you're working yep. on. I mean, Let's exactly. go do something with it, um, you know, and, and do something with it for, you know, a lot of people might mean just enjoying a ride in their backyard, but yeah, that's practical. Go do it. That's great. That's, that's yeah. the, what we're talking about is go actually do it. It's not just um, this thing you talk about. You got to go yeah. do it. Yeah. You know, we, we don't we just talk theory. We, we, we teach it, we do it, we live it. It is, you know, it's part of us. And I think that's pretty important. So Heck yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I agree with all those things. I agree with all those things. And I hope, I hope years from now that, um, that like what you're saying that, okay, when we're talking about building a feel and, and we're talking about the, these connection things, it's not just some, you know, weird, oh, I say weird, probably wrong word, but some, some, something out there that, yeah. It's unachievable, you know, no, no, feel is, feel is everywhere around us, you know, the, the feel that, you know, how you approach your animal um, and yeah. noticing that you notice that as you walk out to your meal, your horse, that, um, that, that they're bothered or feel is like you said to that cow going through the gate. Hey, the cow sees it back off. Let it yeah. find it. Let it go through. That's the feel we're talking about. Feel yeah. isn't this, this, uh, you know, mystical thing. Um, that yeah. You can only you can only get by watching a disney movie you know i mean so i mean so yeah I, I i like it i like what you're saying my friend that's good stuff um the last question i got for you 
And this is something I ask all my guests at the end of my show is if you had one piece of advice to give somebody uh, going down this road of life, and it could be horsemanship advice, life advice, I mean, whatever. But if you had one piece of advice to give somebody going down this road, uh, what would you tell them? That's a great question. And you even gave me a heads up on that last week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the only one I give you a heads up on. My my instructions to Ben is I I say, hey, you want to do the podcast? He says, yes. I say, okay, when? You know, and and I say, the only thing I do is is I ask this one question at the end. That's the only heads up I give you. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So... It sounds cliche, I guess, but, you know, never stop learning and always assume that you don't know as much as you think, you know. Mm. And I tried to explain this to a young lady who wanted to come work for me a number of years ago. And we always start with a trial period, you know, so we make sure it's a good fit, particularly, you know, more so for our long term apprentices than short-term students, but, um, she was knowledgeable. She had some good experience. She was still young. I think she's about 19 and, and, uh, there were definitely, she definitely had some good experience and a good handle on some good theory. There's no doubt. The problem with that was it came with enough ego that it was hard for me to, uh, say anything that she felt like she uh, didn't already know. And, and I told her, I said, looking back in my own experience, I did exactly the same thing because I'd grown up with horses and then I, I had that apprenticeship and I had, had that experience with Mike and Grant. And, and then I was starting Colts on my own. And by the time I was up in Wyoming, you know, I'd started Oh, I don't know. I'd probably started 40 or 50 Colts. You know, I kind of, I kind of knew what was going on. Right. Well, I thought I did. And there's no doubt I had some good experience and I had a good handle on some theory. But when I was in Wyoming, I had the opportunity to be around an older guy that was a pretty good horseman and, and had some knowledge and some, some stuff that he could have imparted to me. But because I wanted to make sure that he knew that I knew some things then I forgot to let him know there were times when he was saying things that I didn't know and that he was imparting knowledge to me. And if you'd asked me at that time, I would have said, oh, of course I'm teachable. I know there's things I need to learn. But I was not coming across that way to him. And he let me know about it one day. Well, he let me know about it in a more uh, straightforward way kind of way, then I let this young lady know because she got the idea that um, I wasn't going to hire her because she knew too much. And that was not the case. (laughs) (laughs) So all that to say, if you're, you know, starting out on this journey and I I get messages as I'm sure you do, Ty, as well, you know, from folks who want to gain experience or they want to learn, maybe they want to come work for you or whatever it is. is be teachable and always just assume that you know less than you think you know because you probably know less than you think you know and i think that's probably true for all of us 
it, mm-hmm. it never stops. It never ends. So just develop that, that mental mindset right now and, and hang on to it because there's always more to learn. And uh, as long as you're wanting to learn it, you'll never be done. You'll never stop, stop learning. So look for those opportunities to learn, find somebody that you can relate to that, that treats both people and horses fairly and, and firmly and patiently and, and has the outcomes and the results that you're looking for with those horses and those people um, in, in a real way, in an authentic way. And then I just stick with them. You know, I, I'm not a big proponent of, of doing too much surfing through YouTube and, and those sorts of things that the resources out there are insane. Like, I mean, it's incredible the amount of information, but just trying to, if you, especially if you're on the earlier stages of learning about it, trying to sift through and find out whether that approach is really good or great or not good or what it's just just find somebody that you can mentor with hey man that's that's so good that's so good assume you know less than you do um that's awesome you know i i do find it's easier to learn the more you learn like you know you you it's just like the horses and the mules you know they have to it seems as if they have to learn to learn um at least in the style we're presenting to them yeah and um you know, I think, I think it's the same thing for us. You know, you, you learn how to learn it. And I feel, uh, I f- honestly, I feel way less satisfied in what I know now than, than what I know 10 years ago. Uh, I mean, if you asked me 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I would have thought that I knew everything. I'm, you know, there's <laughs> nothing else. Like what else is there to learn? You know? And, <laughs> and now I'm like, all, you know, every animal I approach, I'm thinking, okay, what, what do you have to teach me? Yes. Because although, you know, you and I, between the two of us, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of horses and mules that we've worked with. Um, we've never worked with that one. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've never worked with that one. So yeah. you're, you're new today. This, this horse, this mule that you're, you're new. I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. Yeah. And I can take my education and, and my approach and, you know, experience and, and things. And I, you know, you, you try to make the right plays. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes down to it, well, I don't know you. And um, I think that's important too. I think uh, if we approach each animal like that, you know, what do you have to show me? What do you Absolutely. have to teach me about yourself? It, it dang sure makes a difference. So, Absolutely. And, you know, on your comment on uh, surfing YouTube and, and such, you know, I, I, education is wonderful, you know, and I'm a, I'm a proponent for it. Please, you know, learn as much as you can. And I like your comment, um, you know, when you're looking at these things, when you're looking at, at this stuff, um, you, you know, I think it's easy to be a cherry picker. That's what I call them cherry pickers where they just come along and they pick a few cherries off of that tree and a few cherries off of this tree and they just eat the good ones. So what the things that the ones that look good, you know, yeah, um, kind of the low hanging fruit. And, yeah. And, and I think, you, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, there are so many wonderful horsemen and women out there to learn oh, from you guys, absolutely. but there's so, there's so many great teachers. There's a lot of great ones that will never even be on YouTube. I know so many that will, don't even know what YouTube is, you know, yeah. like, yeah. but, um, but I think what, what a lot of people forget is they see this one good idea 
and they take that good idea. And then they look at over here and they find that good idea. Yes, these are all good ideas, but I think it's important to understand they're a good idea in that fella's process. And, you know, what, what that person is teaching and this person's teaching might be different. And you might take a good piece here or there, but if you don't actually go through the process that, that they follow to get to that point, I yeah. feel like that's when things don't work out. When we don't stick to a process, you know, everything I do is, is in order. Like I have an yeah. order to things yeah. and it's for building the mind of the mule, the horse, um, building the body, building the muscle, building Absolutely. the mechanics the the biomechanics of these animals and and somebody might say hey oh that's a great idea uh to to build a turnaround oh i like that little move okay yeah it's a good move but you don't understand that i did uh 20 things to get to that move so that that move will actually work um appropriately yeah you know i think it boils down boils down to context then doesn't it like understanding the context that that particular you know good thing applies to and and then the progression so like so to add on to what i was saying before like i'm not saying don't ever go through youtube and see what you can find but if you're on the beginning stages of this you don't have the experience and knowledge to go through and know how to cherry pick and that's where you i suggest finding a mentor to help you get that foundation um, and so that you have a consistent process and you know, that approach, you know, the results that that approach has, and then the more experience you gain, the more you can cherry pick, the more you can go through and say, I like that. And I understand where it fits both in the context of that situation and that particular horse, as well as the overall idea of wherever it fits with horses and the progression of where you're going with that. Because otherwise, like you say, Many times folks jump on a particular thing or approach or technique like, okay, turn around. Yeah, let's do that. And then if you just camp there, you're going to break something. You're going to, you know, overdo a good thing. And it happens. And this is a whole nother subject for another day, but it, it happens so much where folks will come to a clinic or they'll jump on YouTube and, and some of the most common, um, maneuvers maybe even on the ground that are taught like a hindquarter yield you know like this is this is where you start this is really important you know and this and maybe even they say why you know which is always good so many people i run into are familiar with that maneuver and but they can't tell me why it's important why it's good what what are, what are you doing what's the point and and so on and so then they take that good thing and they just drive it into the ground and then it's detrimental you know then it's done too much. And like I said, that's a whole nother subject for another day. But but uh, that cherry picking, there's a time and place for it when you have the knowledge to say, yeah, that's good. And I understand where it fits in a progression. I understand how it applies in the context of what this person is doing with that particular animal right in that moment. Yeah, that's a good word. You've got all the good words, Ben. Context. <laughs> got I'm the gonna vocabulary. Have, you got you got the vocab. You know, I like that. I'm gonna have to have to have you write my book for me because you 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 say it correctly. I say it in my Utah my Utah rural slang. <laughs> and then you say one word. Oh, context. Oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's great, man. You're awesome. <laughs> Well, hey, buddy, it's been uh, it's been dang fun visiting with you, 
and I appreciate you coming on my my show here and and everything. Um, my will pleasure. You, tell, you bet. Um, will you tell my my friends here where to find you? You're on you're on Instagram, TikTok, all the, the social media stuff. Tell them about your website, about your podcast, yep. and your videos and all that business. Yep. Yeah, sure. Uh, truewesthorsemanship.com is our website. Of course, you can find everything there, including our online video library, which is a, a big resource and a wide range of videos uh, that's constantly growing, similar to yours, Ty. And and uh, and then we are on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Uh, True West, True West Horsemanship. You can search and find us there. We appreciate anybody who wants to follow our adventures. And then our podcast is called Life in the Saddle, and you can find that on pretty much any platform that you that you listen to podcasts on. That's a great podcast. I've I've listened to all your episodes. It's awesome. Awesome, awesome. Heck yeah, we yeah. Really I, enjoyed doing it. Yep, highly recommend it. Um, especially the one with that mule guy that you had on there. Oh man, he's good. <laughs> he is good. I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, buddy. Well, I'll let you get back to riding some horses. And uh, it's about dark here. I'm hanging out in Maryland right now. Um, so sounds um, good. So we'll let you go, my friend. So you have a great day and uh, we'll see you down the road. Okay. Appreciate it, Ty. Thank you so much. You bet.